How many of you can notice that in the current church world, we are struggle-centered? Yes. Yes. I mean, you go to almost, I'm not picking, you go almost to any church around, and the, the central theme of the message includes Jesus, but it's really the struggle. We're struggling with sin, we're struggling with sickness, we're struggling with money, we're struggling in relationships, we're struggling at work, we're struggling, 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 and you're told, well, you know, that's just the way it is. And they came up with the phrase, the struggle is real. The struggle, they come up with the phrase, the struggle is real, right? But guys, listen to me. I, again, I know this is a challenging thought. I, what I'm saying today, and I'm here with you, and we're beginning something that may take us some years to, to cultivate and unpack. Just as much as I feel like this, uh, it was a struggle when I began a journey to really embrace the reality that I could live sin-free. Does that make sense? Again, if, what if I told you you never have to struggle with sin ever again? Mm-hmm. Would you believe me? Mm-hmm. Some of you do. So how, how many of you don't believe me? I mean, not going to raise your hand. Yeah, you get a little bit against what I was taught in the Presbyterian. Yeah. That, uh, that God will actually let you go through trials and tribulations and grow closer to Him. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. But here's the thing. So now, again, to make sure we're talking about the scripture there is clear about there will be trials that can happen. I mean, James says, count it all joy when a trial comes. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But here's what, but are we counting it joy for the trial? Mm-hmm. Or as we sang in that song, are we counting it all joy because we already know? Does that make sense? Again, can I just unpack this just for a little bit? Y'all, y'all remember our little pins? We'll come back and address those. So I, I haven't forgotten. But, you know, that, that, there's a, did y'all sing that song today? You know, uh, I may never face Goliath, but I have my own giants. And I'm not, please hear me. You can kill, still keep singing that song. That's fine. But that's a struggle-centered phrase. Yeah. Because here's the thought. I had this, I forgot who I was talking to. I had this conversation. Oh, with my boss. That's who it was. And I was saying, well, you know, for all of our time talking about our giants, where are all the heads? Because if we sing that song and we know how the story ends, it ended with David holding the giant's head by the hair and the bloody stump, dragging the ground, and he drops it off at Saul's feet and says, give me the woman, give me the gold, and give me my tax-free living. I know, I know it's why you're afraid of women myself, but listen to me. There, there, huh? There may be giants, but if we really believe what we're talking about, then there should be a trophy room of all the heads of all the giants that may have ever tried to raise themselves up against us. That would be fun. But listen, because first, first Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read a verse. We're going to tie all this up together with communion. Because this table 
I want you to think about this now for a season, and, and we'll, I've been looking for the next shift, and I think we found it for this table of communion. This table is the guarantee of victory. Amen. 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 Not, the, not the guarantee of the possibility of victory. Right. Hallelujah. See, many, too many, they believe, well, yeah, Brad, victory is possible. If you're super spiritual, if you're super special, if you're extra anointed, if you're a good little boy or a good little girl and you do all the right stuff, then sure. But no, this is the guarantee of victory, period. Amen. It's been purchased. It's been purchased. It's been established. It's been guaranteed. It's been put in place. And that's why I say, when we talk about this, okay, what if I told you you could live struggle-free? Amen. Does I think it was a couple of Sundays ago when I was preaching or whenever it was, you know, we, I made that funny little analogy about, just imagine, if you will, there's Dwayne the Rock Johnson here, right, Caleb? And I'm going to go square up toe-to-toe with Dwayne Johnson. Why are y'all laughing? <clears throat> right? <laughs> All y'all laughing. All everybody started. I'm gonna go square up toe to toe, and me and me and the rock are gonna go go the distance. How, how long do you think that's gonna last? But listen to me. That's you. Yeah. You. you you are that analogy. You are the rock. You're not me in that analogy. Amen. But what, what, would, what would life be like? What would your life look like, feel like, live like if you just knew? It's like every time you square up to whatever may show up, victory is guaranteed. Amen. Would there actually be, again, back to our little analogy, if me and the rock are going to go toe-to-toe, is the rock going to struggle? No. no. <laughs> I'll real quick with that. Man. Come on. Not even a little, is it going to break a little bit of a sweat? No. No confidence in me whatsoever. <laughs> That's that sad, Carl. Carl's in my corner. Carl believes in me. Is that... It depends on if you have a sling and a rock. <laughs> That's all. I love it, Kurt. It depends if you got a sling and a rock. I love it. But but can y'all but listen to me, guys. Listen, that is us. But because of Jesus, your life victory has been guaranteed. Even if we go, well, come out here. Go First Corinthians chapter fifteen. So at least can say we read a verse, right? First Corinthians chapter fifteen. And I'm going to back up and read into this because it's important. And so we'll start in verse 50, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. And just for you Bible study people out there, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is the, is the chapter in the Bible that gives us the most instruction on the resurrection. What the resurrection is, what the resurrection did, what the resurrection is going to do. So again, kind of building off of it. I, I didn't realize this, but did y'all know today is Easter for all Orthodox believers? Right? 
And so we're kind of still in that same vein of, of Easter. So if you've ever wondered more on the resurrection, this is your chapter to go spend some time in, right? But in verse 50, Paul says this, Now this I say, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep. And remember when it says sleep, I just even love that. What does he mean when he says sleep? Die. But I want you to pay attention all throughout the New Testament. That is the synonymous term the church has always used concerning death. Oh, they're asleep. Yes. They're just asleep. And you're about to find out it wasn't as big a struggle. Right? So, we shall not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet of God will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We, so when this corruptible puts on incorruption and this mortal puts on immortality, then shall be brought to pass this saying, death is swallowed up in what? Say so that one more say, say death, death has been swallowed up in victory. Anything connected to death has been swallowed. Amen. Right? So what about sin? Swallowed. Swallowed. What about sickness? Swallowed. What about poverty? Swallowed. Does that make sense? Swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Now, verse 57, let's read it together. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So is victory something you have or something you're trying to get? You see that in that verse? But thanks be to God who has given us Victory. Not going to give you victory. Not one day you'll have victory. Does that make sense? But you have the victory. And really, and not to go too far, really the only thing left we actually have a struggle with is physical death. That's truly the only enemy. That's, that's actually what Paul says. And I forgot where he says the last enemy is physical death. Yeah. That means if it's the last enemy, what happened to all the ones that came before it? It's they're, they're defeated. They're swallowed up. So physical death truly is the only last enemy. And, and y'all have heard me say this before. Uh, I love this analogy that God gave me. Uh, like physical death is simply the wimpiest bully on the playground. <laughs> Does that make sense? Y'all, y'all remember, you know, the Christmas story, you know, Ralphie. And there was, there was the bully, you know, and the bully had the little crony that went with him and all this kind of stuff, you know, and all the bullies in the movies, you know, there's the bully and there's always the little crony. That's with, and, and y'all know, everybody knows, again, if you beat the bully, what happens to the little crony? He runs off, right, and does that kind of, Listen to me. Jesus defeated death, hell, 
and the grave. The only quote-unquote enemy remaining to us is physical death. But what happens when I die? Is to be present with the Lord. So the worst thing death can do is just send me to where I'm already going. So is it a struggle? I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this a little bit. Do y'all see the shift I think we need to make? What, what would your life look like if you knew, like I mean knew, like what you were saying earlier, Alicia, you knew I always win. Amen. No matter what comes, I win. No matter what happens, victory is guaranteed. What you laughing at, Kurt? Because I play this game with my kids. It's called I win. But listen to me. But the, the truth is, is victory has been settled. Victory has been guaranteed. I want to say this. Victory is your natural habitat. When we've said that before, and it's just as true, we say love, peace, and joy, righteousness, those are your natural habitats. Would you agree with that? Yes. But so is victory. Amen. And I think in the church world, we've not believed that much currently. Because you listen to people and they say, well, you know, the struggle is real. Right? We're just, you know, you're just going to have to struggle, Nick. Life is a struggle. And then you die. That's what we said. And I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about I hear this in the church. I expect the world to say this. I'm talking about, I'm talking, this is me talking to other people just like you and I. Well, Brad, you know, life is hard. Yes. Uh-huh. And she was funny, but she kept going on about all these things that are coming as a woman yeah. uh, menopause and stuff. Yeah. And I told her, I was like, you know, she's sunny, but I don't want to listen to this anymore. That's exactly like, right. This, I don't want to believe for that. I want to. Look like, feel like, mm-hmm. be like, living with a confidence that you know I always win. Just wait till I tell my card players tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I always win. I always win. Well, I mean, jokingly, Brother Hagen, who taught us, that was when you played a game with Brother Hagen, you played till he won. <laughs> that, how did you know the game was over? When he won, the game was over. <laughs> but listen to me, as weird as that sound, but that's how he lived. Yes. Amen. Because this, I just want to say that to us this morning as a church to paint that image and hope, I believe, is hopefully you're finding this hopeful. Right? But see, you and I, we live, just as Paul said, we live in a perpetual place of eternal victory. 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. We come back to our pin notes just a minute. So I need Katie and Nick and Selena. I need you guys to 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 give me some attention. And I'm gonna ask you this: Please begin to write victory songs again. Amen. Please, if anything more than just for our church family, please begin to write victory songs. Because I've noticed, uh, Sayla and I were talking about it driving in. And if you just listen to Christian radio, there is no note of victory. No, yeah. you're right. It's aggravating. There is no note of victory in the songs. There is only a note of defeat and depression and woe is me and it's so sad. Does, does that make sense? So we need some more victory songs, some more joyful songs, Right? Some more songs. I mean, again, imagine how would you feel again if you just knew me. I just, I always win. I just, I just win. Yeah. Now, again, you can be cocky with it, right? To, please do be cocky with it to the devil. Please be humble with it towards people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Does that mean? But I want us as a church family, this, this morning is, is a marking moment. So I want you to, to note it down by the Spirit of the Lord. This morning is a marking moment for our church family where Father is asking us, will we live afresh and anew in the state of victory? Amen. Yes. Let's add this to that based on what you said. What would you attempt? Yes. Yes. What would you put your hand to yes. if you just knew I always win? Amen. If you just knew I can't fail. Mm-hmm. Right? Amen. So I really want to, this is a marking moment for us. Yeah. I want you to, if you can't write it down somewhere, put today's date on it. Right, April the, what is the 16th, 2023. God is asking us, will we turn again? And, and again, I'm not trying to be too poetic, but I'm just trying to speak as I know, would we return again to the land of victory? Amen. Would we turn again and say, from today forward, we, and Selena, help me with this. We're going to, we're, I'm just, again, I'm preaching to all of us here. Right, because I can see in, in my own self the same thing slips and little where you just kind of just gets on you, right? Um, yeah. It's like a booger, just sticks on you, right? <laughs> Try to get it off and it just keeps showing up, right? You know, 
Does that make sense? So now let's come back for this for time's sake. Again, so in communion in a little bit, we're going to take communion and moving forward, right, for some season while we keep meditating and thinking on this and talking about it as families and talking about it amongst ourselves. Let's not just let this be a sermon that comes up and we never talk about it again. Does that make sense? But we're going to start coming to this table and you'll start hearing us and all of us who have the privilege of, of, of administering communion when we gather on Sundays. This is the place of victory. This table represents our guarantee. Right? That victory is ours now. That victory is present now. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so to come back, I'll come back around because I said we would. So let's go back to our stuff. So we said we had some pins. So what was that? Did Jesus, and again, remember, let me back up and say it like this. Because Jesus is our archetype, because Jesus is our great example, then we do look at the life of Jesus so that I can look at my life as a comparison, never to put me down right. or to make me feel bad, but always to show me what is possible for me. Yes. Always to show me, oh, I can live at that level. Why? Because my Jesus did. Yes. Right? Amen. So when we come to this kind of stuff again, um, you know, and I know Aldra said this before and I love it, you know, that's why we can look to Jesus. Did you, did you ever see Jesus having a whiny prayer? <laughs> no. No. Right? Did you, did you ever see Jesus struggling with sin? No. No. Did you ever see Jesus struggling with sickness? No. Did you ever see Jesus struggling with lack? No. No. Does that make sense? So even in these things, so what do we say? So what somebody, somebody says, remind the me of... The Garden of Gethsemane was the big one. So the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's the one I'll say. It was the only time I would say Jesus struggled, but... Who did he struggle with? Himself. Himself. Mm -hmm. Now, was Jesus in that prayer, was he struggling because he didn't know the will of God? No. 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 Did Jesus know the will of God? Yes. So his struggle wasn't, as so many people believe, that Jesus was groping around trying to figure out what God wanted to do. No, Jesus knew exactly what God wanted to do. He knew exactly what the will of God was. Jesus was struggling. Was Jesus struggling with his identity at that moment? No. 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 But listen to me. That's the, that's the one when we started talking about this, it was the only one that came to mind that you and I will have to look at like Jesus and say, okay, Lord, I will be who you've made me to be. Remember, Jesus knelt down and he says, Lord, I will be who you've made me to be. I will be Messiah. I will be Savior. I will be that. So, and then what we're talking about, you may face the struggle of you. But like Jesus, your answer will be, Lord... Not my will, not who I think I am. Yeah. But your will, who you've made me to be. 
Does that make sense? And again, look at that story. About how long was that struggle? Time-wise. It was one hour. Remember that? Because he said, can you not pray with me? One hour? So, so he wasn't in the garden all night. He wasn't in the garden for days on end. This wasn't some, you know, three-year process. Jesus went to the garden for an hour. <laughs> Jesus went to the garden for an hour. And dealt with it. So let's learn from Jesus if we happen to find ourselves. Let's be quick about dealing with stuff. Let's realize we don't have to dwell there. Amen. We can just go, okay, then let's take an hour. And let, yes. Take it to the garden by an hour. When, when your identity is challenged. Two things. Be willing to be who you are. Does that make... That's good, man. <laughs> Listen to me. We, we, the, the, most of the church world is suffering from a massive identity crisis. Yes, man. Right? Because Scripture is trying to sit there and say, Brad, you are free from your sin. And I'm running around going, well, you know, I just can't ever do right. I just got this thing. I just got this, you know, there's this thing. It just, you know, you understand it, right? I just, it just, it just lingers. It just, it's been there. It's just an identity crisis. Yes. Jesus in the garden, it was an identity crisis. It was his time to say, no, I will be Messiah right here. Amen. No, I will be Savior right here. I know exactly. I know who my God is. I know what his will is. And I know who I am in between those two things. Amen. I know who my God is. I know what his will is. And I know who I am because of those two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does, does, that, mm-hmm. does, that, does that make sense? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's the one. So that's, I'll give us that one. Jesus had about a one hour struggle. Right? Now, what was that? Let's go to the next one. Who said 40, the, the, the temptation? All right, so here's the thing. So Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days into 40 nights, right? Does that make sense? So the first part of that, was that a struggle? No, it was just Jesus fasting. Huh? It might be as a... But Jesus, so let's, let's review the story, right? Because I think we make assumptions based on the story. So who took Jesus there? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Right? Remember Psalms 23? Jesus would have known Psalms 23. Yes. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in grief. He leads me. Right? So is, is, is the Holy Spirit known to lead you into turmoil? Yes. No. No. Is the Holy Spirit known to lead you into struggle? No. no. Now, he'll lead, he was leading Jesus to fast. And again, if you don't know the reason why, remember, Jesus was last Adam. Remember Paul said that about Jesus, that Jesus would be the last Adam. 
So like first Adam, Jesus and Adam had a lot of parallels. Right? Because he was the last one to be. I want you to what does it mean by being the last Adam? What do you mean? This is not a trick question. It's not a trick question. So if something's last, it's it's last. It's not hard. I'm not complicated. I'm not tricking you. You know, if I said this was the last plane out of town, you know that means ain't no more. It's the last plane out. Jesus is the last one who would ever have to struggle with sin. He's the last Adam. So like first Adam, he had to face the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he goes 40 days and the 40 day night fast thing was Jesus doing Jesus. He just talked to God a lot. How big of a struggle is that? Wow, not at all. Come on. Y'all look at me like a cow to Newgate. Y'all y'all all right? So, so, so there's Adam, Jesus. He's just doing what the first Adam did, walking and talking yes. with God. Yes. He just happens to be with no food and no water. Because when did the devil show up? At the beginning of those 40 days and it was a 40-day brawl and they were out there in the, you know, and it was like this extended fight scene from some movie. Yeah. So on day 40, the coward, the devil, showed up when Jesus' flesh was at its weakest moment. Yeah. So was Jesus hungry? Yeah. He said he was hungry. Was Jesus probably thirsty? He was human. Was Jesus maybe tired? So again, so is Jesus at a weak point? Yes. And man, and the fight was on, right? No. <laughs> you all remember the story? Yeah. Devil shows up and says, well, throws a temptation at him. And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus go, oh God, oh no. I love bread. Okay. <laughs> right? Was there this tussle? Was there this big struggle in Jesus and he was he was there and he was angst and he was anxious and what did he do? It is written. He pulled out a verse from Deuteronomy. One verse. Oh, it's written. You'll not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the devil goes next. <laughs> right? And he says, well, hey, and he takes him up to this big, gives him this experience, takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and I'll do all, y'all remember that? couple verses later in Deuteronomy, Jesus goes, well, you remember, we'll only worship the Lord our God. Him alone will we serve. Mm-hmm. Next. Did you, did you hear a lot of struggle going on in Jesus? No. Now, was it an important moment? Yes. yes. Did Jesus need to win? Yes. But was he struggling to win? No. no. He took... Listen to him. Jesus took three verses from a book most of us ain't even read. Come on, let's be honest. Who's, who's, who's been camping out in Deuteronomy? <laughs> but who, who hasn't read Deuteronomy? Come on now, be honest. Who has not read Deuteronomy? I'm with it. Come on now. There's big pieces of it I haven't read. So Jesus takes three verses from a book most Christians have never read and kicks the devil's butt. So much so that he flees and angels show up. 
from three verses from Deuteronomy. You got a whole Bible at your disposal that they didn't even have. And the Holy Spirit that listen to me. So so tell me where's the struggle with temptation? I'm gonna I just think it's not existent. Because I can guarantee you too, how many of y'all have ever done a 40 day fast before? I ain't even I'm I'm good if I do a half a day fast. I'm just being wrong. <laughs> right. But listen to me. So Jesus, the archetype, goes 40 days without food and water. Is literally at a physical point where he's most likely very tired, very worn down, very weak, if you will, in his flesh. And the devil shows up physically. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Physically. This is not a, an apparition of the, the devil. The devil didn't send chief demon number 12 to go. The devil shows up. When Jesus is hungry and thirsty and tired and Jesus kicks his butt with three verses. Yes. last one he's that fault was in again now we may be tempted yeah I was about to say, but, so so again then here's the you know whether so the, remember there's a difference between sinning and being tempted yes big difference there's a big difference right so again and and this will bear we didn't say this last Sunday but it'll bear for so how much did Jesus struggle with sin well, well the answer was six hours on the cross how much did Jesus struggle with sickness? About six hours on the cross. How long did Jesus struggle with being poor and broke? About six hours on the cross. So that, and he is the last one. He's the last Adam. And guys, listen, I know that's a, hey, I'm with, I know that can fry our fritter, trip our breaker, but it's true. That's good news. It's good news. I mean, for real, guys, come on. How many of you are like going, oh my God, what kind of church did I get hooked up? I mean, are are you with me? I'm saying the same thing because I'm here talking with you. But does that make sense? I know it sounds strange because all we've ever been told is the struggle is real. <laughs> yeah. Right? No pain, no gain. Can I, can I go back to an analogy we used? It, and I'm just going to camp here for not a little bit more today. We've got about another 10 minutes and then we'll go home and eat chicken or something. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever you want to go. Please go home and talk about this some more. But again, remember I told that analogy about that, that preacher that actually did this? You know, he went and found some kind of spell book. Did I tell you that? Remember that story? 
For those who weren't here, there was a, a, a preacher apparently here. He went to some bookstore and he bought a book of spells, like a witchcraft book at this antique book. And he brings it to his church as an illustration. And he goes, you know, I'm just going to read you some of these spells. They were kind of cool. I found them in this thing. And he's going to open the book. And I remember watching y'all's face a couple of Sundays ago. And y'all were looking and going, oh my gosh. And then we're going to open the book. And as he's opened the book, they're like going... And then he stops and goes, how come we have more faith in a book of curses that if I was dare, if I was to dare to read a spell from a witchcraft book, everyone under the sound of my voice would believe it. Don't say that right over me. I reject that. Don't you speak that over me. But anytime I come up to this and go, oh, wow. What did we say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Now thanks be unto God who always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet you got to talk people into that. Don't have to talk you into cursing at all. You'll believe that. Don't speak that. Flick your holy water at me. Crossing yourself. Burning candles and But come on, church, listen to me. If we read the scripture, if you were to strip away any backgrounds you came from and just read the Bible, all you could see is, is, oh my gosh, he changed me. All you would see is he freed me from my sin, took away all my sickness and all my disease. He became abject poverty so that I could become the wealth of heaven. Amen. Right? Oh, he gives me the victory over everything. And so, like, and so like David, sure, if a giant pops out the woods, give me your head. That's where we're going. You dare to show up in my life, you just must want to die. Yes. Amen. Listen to me, that was David, right? Do you, you remember, and I miss Eloise's story again? And we got to remind you to come back and hit some more of these pins. Is this helping? Does y'all look at me? Or is this just so new you're like, ah. <laughs> you know. But listen, but remember David, what's David? Is David hunting a giant? David, David wasn't out hunting giants. David was Ubering. Right? He was doing Uber Eats, right? His, his, his daddy said, take this cheese. And I love it. And, and his daddy puts a bribe in the cart and says, hey, this extra special packet of food, make sure the captain over your brothers get this. We're going to grease the wheels for your brothers. So David's delivering food and a bribe. <laughs> That's what he's doing. He's delivering a bribe. And he just happens to show up when someone is challenging the identity of God's people. See, one of the things, so you have to realize that David and Goliath story is not a fight of faith. The David and Goliath story was a battle for a nation's identity. That's what David saw. David was not up there going, oh God, I hope I, hope I can come through. Even as we, he wasn't praying, oh God, you know, I just really need you to anoint this rock, Lord. That's exactly. David, what, I need you to anoint it, and I'm just going to rub some special salve on my sling pouch 
So it'll be super, you know, that the, the prophet anointed. It, it was David showed up knowing who David was. And this is what David knew. David didn't even know he was king. This wasn't like an up and coming king going to show off. David was, listen, I'm a shepherd on the backside of this nation, but I am of this nation. And he was actually saying, I am the, and you, I, my, I am the least of my family. I am the least of this nation. I am a peon. I am a nobody. I'll take care of it for you. Why? Because I am of the nation of Israel. I have a covenant with my God. He has nothing. The best he's got is he's got a sword and a spear. And I think they, and I don't worry, I'll take his sword away and take his head off. Come listen. Do you see? This was not a fight. This was not a struggle of faith. This was David standing up, someone willing to stand up who knew who they were in the face and the company of their whole nation. That's what we're talking about. What if you lived in this place where you just know, I win. Giant shows up, we kill them. That's what we do. We kill, we kill, we kill stuff. We kill things. Giant shows up, we kill them. Chop their heads off. Hang them up on the wall. That's what we do. And again, even if you imagine, was it a struggle? Was David struggling? You know, the only time David struggled in that whole story is when somebody was trying to talk him into being somebody else. The only time David struggled is when Saul was trying to put his armor on him. Trying to get David to be someone he wasn't. Guys, that's the only time we'll struggle. We try to be someone we're not. Is, it, is this good? We got, y'all got a few more minutes. What else did we leave off? We got five more minutes. Can we do another pen? We said, yes. The turning of the table. So, so look at this. So, so Jesus walks in. Right? Remember the story that day? Jesus walks into the temple and there's all these people. Now, the backstory, why this ticked Jesus off so much was it was a group of people limiting access to worship. Because yes. here's how it would work. People would come to Jerusalem because still in that day you had to journey from other parts of Israel and you had to come to Jerusalem and at Jerusalem you had to worship. Well, some of them were coming from far enough away that they couldn't haul their sacrifice with them poor little critter would die Mm -hmm. or it could get injured on the way and no longer be a good sacrifice so what the law allowed is if you lived at distance from jerusalem you could bring money and there would should be someone who would provide a sacrifice for you Mm -hmm. at at an acceptable price yes and what the money changers were doing is that we're taking advantage of people coming to worship and get their sins cleared. So they were charging three and four and five and six times the price as if they would have bought the sacrifice in their own hometown. And so what these people were doing, this is what, and again, so this wasn't Jesus 
mad at people. This was Jesus mad at people being limited from coming to God. Yes. Right, but even on that, think of the story. Did Jesus struggle? I mean, on one side, it says that Jesus walks in, he sees what's going on. And then he steps over to the side and begins to braid a whip. Now, again, I'm not, a, I've braided some things, but that's not something you just whip up in like a second. Right? So, I mean, I don't know. You know, my imagination, Jesus off to the side an hour, two. I mean, he's over, he's braiding. Now, this is a bradology, so don't walk out there with me. And I think Jesus is just going through it in his mind. Well, I'll start over there <laughs> and I'll push them all that way. Right? <laughs> right? I think Jesus and some of it is going, and that guy has been super mean. He gets extra. <laughs> right? And he's over there. And, and now do you think Jesus is angst while he's doing that? No. no. You think Jesus is all like, you think he's, or even this, do you think Jesus struggled going <laughs> when he went to turn over the table? Yeah. Right? Didn't he go out and pray? Uh-uh. No, he didn't say he prayed at all. Yeah, he, he just walked in and goes, oh. No, he's, and i got to be careful because yes. I think Jesus might have swore a little bit, but I don't know that for sure. And, and he, was, he just walked in and goes, oh, uh-uh. No, not he was he was having a good he's all and because you remember at the end when all this happened the disciples said oh yeah it was said about him zeal for his father's house would consume him so again can you think about something you're zealous over right something you're I mean something you're passionate about now, let me ask you a question. So the things that you're passionate about, do you struggle doing those things? If you're genuinely passionate about something, it's easy. And it says that that's what it was. That the passion for his father's house consumed him. So, I mean, even in that, Jesus, now Jesus expended effort. Jesus has said he was angry, but remember, not all anger is bad. Angry and sin not. Not all angry is bad. I don't know about you, but there's times I'm angry at sin. How about you? When I hear about what sin does to somebody, it makes me angry. Gets me upset. There's certain things, again, we watch movies and they portray certain things. I, I can't watch certain movies because it just makes me so angry on the inside. It just makes me so hot. That people would do something, even in fake stuff, where people would even do that to somebody. I just get, I'm, I can't, I can't watch that. I can't, I just get so mad. Does that make sense? So there's certain angers. Not all anger is bad. Right. She get angry at sickness. Mm-hmm. She get angry at poverty. She get angry at addiction. Mm-hmm. Right. Those things, but those things are not struggles. They are. In the good, they're motivators that move us into action, and I, and that's why I said before, and you hear me say it a lot: uh, be be watchful of what makes you angry, because it's most likely attached to your call. Yeah. It's most because just that's what happened to Jesus, right? That's why Jesus walked into the temple as our high priest. 
So Jesus is walking into the temple as the high priest of humanity and he sees people being limited to access mm -hmm. and he's ticked. Mm -hmm. Why? Because that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Not did I miss any What other ones? We had some pins on some stuff. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, don't let your, okay, I got you, so, yeah, I mean, again, so was Jesus struggling with his emotions ever? Was Jesus ever, like, struggling? You know what I mean? Like, even his anger thing here, that, that emotion that Jesus had was righteous. It was, I think, and it was still controlled. Like he oh, said, very much so. He was over there braiding. He braided it. I bet he was really, he was he thinking. Was, he was there. He was present in the moment, and he was, that's why I say in my own mind, Jesus didn't have a, okay, put it like, oh, I see it. Jesus wasn't having a fit of carnality that day. Right? I mean, Jesus wasn't walking in and, and throwing a fit and just throwing stuff around. We all seen people do that, right? No, Jesus, this was, this, this was emotion that was purpose-centered, that was righteousness-centered, that was earnest and focused, and it ended. Because when the place was clean, it was done. It was good. All done. It was all good. I always wondered if they ever went back. I don't know what happened. I thought it's like you can't get in trouble there. Huh? Yeah, you don't get in trouble. Well, here's the thing. Well, well, okay, guys, listen to me. This is, here's. I, he didn't care. Yeah. I mean, for, for real. Just imagine. Again, that's what I'm saying. Imagine how little you would care if you knew you always won. Right. Again, again, think about it, even in the sense of a, of a game. Okay, if you just knew you always won, you're not worried about the bad play that happened. Yeah. You're not worried if somebody dropped the ball. Mm -hmm. You're not worried if there's a hiccup. Why? I always win. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we ever get mad until somebody can get out. It don't matter. Who cares? Yeah. They won't come back anyway. <laughs> That's true. Does that make sense? Uh, Ms. Elisa? Um, I see that. So, you know, he says, I only do what I see my See, if Jesus had not laid down his life, he would still be with us. Because there was nothing in him that would produce physical death. That's why Jesus said, I have to lay my life down. You cannot take it from me. Now listen to me. Listen to me. What if we live that way? What if we really lived that way? Because again, now the difference would be, what's the worst case scenario? They kill me. And I go to heaven. Where are you going anyway? Come on guys, listen. 
our our faith forefathers that was one of the revelations that they captured after Pentecost yeah Yeah, again I've told you this and and man I got so much y'all got a little is this okay everybody's backside doing okay everybody doing good we still got to do communion real quick because uh, I know your heart can only receive what your backside can endure. That's why I bought real squishy chairs. Right? I wanted to make sure. Um, but one of my favorite, you can if you've never read it before, it's a, it's a book. It's probably the oldest book that's still read next to the Bible. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. Fox's Book of Martyrs. First chapters talk about uh, the persecutions of the apostles. And their disciples. And my all-time favorite, he's one of my church heroes, personally. One of my historic, his name was Polycarp. And if I remember, Polycarp was the pastor at the church at Ephesus, if I'm remembering right. But Polycarp was just one bad A little old dude. He was just awesome. Like, So it says Polycarp was, he was like 80-something years old. He was old. And he's pastoring. And this is the and, and in Ephesus, they, the emperor at the time, I forgot his name, made a law where you have to worship his image. And he was, the, he was so respected in his city because of all he had done for his city. The city counselors came to Polycarp and said, hey, listen, we know you don't believe this, mm-hmm. but we don't want to kill you. Mm-hmm. So would you please just grab a pinch of incense and just fling it in the general direction of the thing, and we're good. We'll just scratch you off as the good. And this man looks up, he goes, I have served my Savior for 60 plus years, and he's done me no harm, only good. How can I do harm to him now? And then he goes, I'm not doing it. And they said, well, we got to kill you. He goes, well, do what you got to do. The church, now everybody gets all, so they start hiding him and running him. And he kind of goes along with it. But there comes a point where it's, and you read through the story, and he's running, and he finally stops and goes, what am I doing? Why am I? Now, this is Brad's paraphrase of, why am I so afraid? So he literally stops. He looks, he goes, I run no more. He says, but they're coming. He says, let them come. And it says, literally, the Roman soldiers come to the place where they're hiding him, knock on or kick in the door, one of the two. Polycarp greets them at the door and says, hey, listen, I've, I've made dinner for you. It's in here waiting. While you guys eat, because you've been chasing me for a while. You must be hungry. <laughs> While you guys eat, I'm just going to take an hour and pray, and then I'll go wherever you take me. And it says the soldiers were so moved, they turned and didn't want to arrest him and said, can we help hide you? (laughs) And he says, no, I'll run no more. So they take him before the magistrates and he does the whole thing. I will not hurt my savior. Right. And it says that he gladly goes to the stake to be burned. And they tie him to the stake and they build the fire. And it says that... (laughs) This is is movie stuff, man. I'm for real. They light the fire and the Holy Ghost inserts his hand inside the flame. 
and the flame makes a wall around him, but he's untouched. <laughs> Standing there. It says, only until a soldier saw and reached through with a spear and stabbed Polycarp through the heart. But then, this is when he pulled the spear out, so much blood flowed out of him, it put out the entire fire. Now that, that's by itself. I mean, we have a lot of blood in us, but we don't got that much. No, yeah. So literally in this act of defiance and killing him, he put, listen to me. Yeah. That's, that's our ancestors. Yes. Come yes. on. That's our heritage. Yeah. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Thanks be unto God. He laid down his life. He gave it. See, again, I, what if he's our archetype? Yeah. I want to get a place where, okay, good, try to kill me. Yeah. Let's see what happens. This, this should be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, here's the thing. Wait. Well, okay. So let's talk about. It. So real. Y'all got a well, last one, and then we'll take communion. I think, and we'll go from it. But so Lazarus. So remember. So remember Jesus's BFF, Lazarus, right? So Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha send for Jesus. Hey, will you please come? Lazarus is sick, and he's real sick. Please come and heal him. And Jesus says, "I'll be there in a little bit." Doesn't say yes. Doesn't say no. Says, "I'll be there in a little bit." Right? Goes. He's dead. They come back and they're telling him about, you know, hey, he's dead. He's there. And Jesus waits again. Right? Waits and shows up. You remember what day he shows up? On the fourth day. So Lazarus has been dead for four days. Now, here's the part that a little bit of cultural study will help you know the Bible better. In first century Judaism... The Pharisees, you ever wondered why the Pharisees were always at Jesus' stuff? You ever wonder about, like, I always, if you're so mad at the man and you don't believe him anyway, why do you keep showing up? That just seems stupid. Now, that's Brad, right? But here's why they had to show up. They were the self-appointed Messiah-identifying police. <laughs> that's what they that's what they made themselves to be. We're the Pharisees, we're the highest of all the sect of Israel. We will be the ones that will point out Messiah because obviously he's gonna come to us because we're so awesome. Obviously, right? He wouldn't go to anybody else because y'all aren't near as awesome as we are. Right. Sounds like some denominations today, right? But we, we won't go there. But but anyway, so they so they had four non-scriptural proofs that they said that were their oral tradition of the Pharisees. They're called the Messianic Miracles. You can go Google them and look at just type in Messianic Miracles of Jesus. And there were four miracles that the Pharisees said only Messiah can do these things. One of them was only Messiah can raise a man from the dead after three days. Because they had a belief in Judaism that a person's spirit hung out around the grave for up to three days. But after three days, it would go on to be with God or go on to hell, whatever. So they believed within three days, anybody could use faith and bring the spirit back. But only Messiah could cross 
Listen, only Messiah could cross the bridge of death. Only Messiah could go to that gulf between the two places. Yeah. So only Messiah. So why did Jesus wait so long? Yeah. He had to. He had to do that thing for them. Because remember, now he comes up. So Jesus shows up, and it says that he wept. That's in that shortest verse in the entire Bible, right? John, whatever it was, and it says Jesus wept. So Jesus wept. But if you read, go back home, read the story. When Jesus, he's weeping, and the people said, oh, he must have loved him so much. But see, Jesus wasn't weeping for Lazarus. If you read the story, he was weeping for them. Because they still didn't believe. And he says so. If you go, go read the story. Jesus stands in front. Says move the stone. Lord he's been dead four days. By now he surely stinks. He says move the stone. And then listen to Jesus. Can we find where that is? Real quick. I think it's in John. Somebody help me. Somebody Google it. The death. Oh look at there. Holy, holy, cool the Holy Ghost is. Here, let's, here's the story. It's in John chapter 11. And it reads on, uh, man, you've got to read the whole thing almost. It's in verse, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the town of Mary and Martha, his sister. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And so therefore the sister sent to him and said, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. But for the glory of God. Now, why do you think he said that? He knew what he was going to do. He, he, he knew it was, this was that miracle. Right? Not because God needed Lazarus to die. Right. Lazarus just died. Yes. And Jesus said, okay, well, well, this will be fun. He's my friend. Yeah. I'll pick him. <laughs> He'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. If you had to go prove something, would you pick a random stranger? Oh, he'll get it. Lazarus will get it. He'll get a chuckle. Uh, that's Bradology. I read this story I'm like, Lazarus is going to like this. <laughs> I was like, we've talked about this. That's a, anyway, so yeah. So, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That sounds like somebody that loves you, right? Then after he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, teacher, lately the Jews sought, some, sought to stone you, and you are going there again. So I love that. So Jesus is going back to a place where they're trying to kill him. So Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of this world. But if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Right, And he's talking about those who believed. These things he said after that he had said to them, our friend Lazarus, notice his word, sleeps. One more time, guys, listen, never fear death, it's only sleep. But I go that I may wake him up. So did Jesus know what he was going to do? So was Jesus struggling here? Okay. Then he said to his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death but they thought that he was speaking about he was resting in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, now he's talking to the 12, Lazarus 
is dead and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go get him. So Jesus is all surrounded. Let's fast forward down into the chapter. I'm trying to think. Look, go in there and you can read through the whole story, but for time, jump over to verse 40. So Jesus says to, well, back up 38. Jesus said again, groaning to himself, came to the tomb. It is a cave and the stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take the stone away. Right. And Martha and his sister who was, and the sister of him who was dead said to him, Lord, by this time he stinks for he's been dead four days. He said to her, did I not say to you? All right. So again, this is what they've had this conversation before. Y'all okay. Yeah. He's been at their house. They've talked about the resurrection from the dead before. Mm-hmm. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, now notice, here's Jesus praying. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Mm-hmm. Is Jesus struggling here? No. Is Jesus worried here about what the outcome's going to be? Thank you that you've heard me. And I know (laughs) that you always hear me. Did you know he always hears you too? Yes, amen. That's a whole other message for a whole other day. But But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they might believe that you sent me. So why was Jesus there that day? That they might believe. Was Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead for himself? Was Jesus doing this to prove anything to himself? About himself? He was doing it for all those who were there. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the one who had died came bound hand and foot. (laughs) That's what... They didn't even go get him. Poor man. <laughs> Come on, y'all. He had to. He had to y'all go let him loose. Dude is dead and he's mummied. He's bound hand and foot inside this tomb. Jesus raises him from the dead. Dude has to hop out of the grave. Has to get off the slab. Get out because everybody else is still. What's going on? What's happening? Did we just. Why is he? What? And then Jesus says, I love it. Then Jesus says, hey, loose him and let him go. Yeah. See, I, I see two really good friends having a really good time. Is Jesus struggling over this whole thing? Is Jesus all tore up because his friend's dead? Listen, get, man, radical thought again. Yeah. I know we, we are sad when folks die. But why can't we be happy? Again, I, I know this is, and if I fell down dead right now, I know you don't like those, even those thoughts. I understand. She had me there. Her mother's face. Not planning on it. But again, why would be, if I fell down dead right now, because we know truth, why is our immediate response not one of joy? We're so, so, 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's by the, yeah, I know. <laughs> Thank you. But hey, but listen, that's what I'm saying though. Hey, but listen, and I'll say it, I'll end right now, it's a weird place, we're going to get ready to do communion, but listen to me. I read about preachers of old, it is, it, I would love to go home doing this. Does that make sense? Like yeah. Our culture is like, well, you should be so sad. Yeah. So yeah. But imagine us if, if again, I mean, I love, I love the story that's here of, of Tony Tykemiller, who, you know, was a part of our church family for a while, and he talked about someone died in his world. And he said, involuntarily, out of his mouth came, well, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> and then he stopped himself and, like, oh, oh, because it's his wife that told him. So there's the widow saying, oh, so and so died. Oh, well, good for him. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I should. And she goes, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I know those people. Yeah. yeah. And that is exactly her reaction. That, you're right. Yeah. But listen to me. That's, I know that sounds different. But listen, see, that's the sound of victory. See, how would we, again, how would we live if we knew Victory was guaranteed. And even the thing that probably most of us have the greatest fear about, the fear of death, if even that, as Paul said, if that had no more sting, no more pain, no more dread, because we know. I mean, I, I just keep all morning because it's like we're the Br'er Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean you get to throw me in that briar patch? Mm-hmm. So guys, come on up this morning. We'll do this and we'll end for today. But come up and receive the elements of communion.